We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. you today, but it's not our fault. Spain just won't stop scoring. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. What a day. What an interesting, interesting day. I'm What I'm curious about is how the Belgium result is going to impact Ghana's chances to finish top in their group, and especially how the Germany result is going to impact England and whether they can top the group. I'm joking. If you don't get it, it's because, like a dummy, I, I had all this advanced analysis yesterday of how re, uh, results were going to impact groups that the teams weren't even in together. And Phil didn't correct me, so we'll blame Phil. Please send all the hate to uh, to Phil on Twitter, and we'll give you his handle in just a moment. But we did correct it, and we are here to discuss a really, really fun day um, in the World Cup. I thought, and here to do it now is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. Good to know that everyone was listening and on their toes. They passed the test, which is ultimately the most important thing. It's super disappointing because I really have always believed the point of the podcast was to be background noise while you do things like, you know, wash your car or go for a, a jog or, you know, walk the dog and pick up poop, but not to really listen to it. But people apparently really listen to it. So who knew? Uh, especially when Clive's not on. He will be on some of these, by the way. And finally, making his debut, feeling better and and with us to discuss a heck of a day, uh, a man who lives in Germany. And so therefore uh, is, is, I'm sure, caught up with the zeitgeist uh, in Germany at the moment with a result that no one will be thankful for is Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. I crawl in off my sickbed because I know all of the groups like the back of my hand and I heard that that was needed around here. I mean, knowing literally anything would be a step above what I have contributed to the World <laughs> Cup Daily so far. But because you are here now, I don't have to know anything. I just have to be witty. So still still no value added, unfortunately. Let's get into this. Um, and I think we should go in order of interest, which is a difficult one because they were three of the four games that were really, really interesting. But Lewis, I'll start with you since you are in Germany. Germany, they just... They're not the Germany that we maybe grew up remembering as, you know, this organized defensively stalwart team that that just ruthlessly and efficiently crushed the opposition. They were beaten, and I think at least in the second half, uh, fairly beaten, deservedly beaten, by a really interesting Japan, Japan team that seemed to keep their powder dry until halftime and then unleash their great players like uh, Takehiro Tomiyasu. So what, what are your thoughts, uh, your headline, so to speak, from Japan 2, Germany 1. Yeah, Germany are just like a bad version of Spain now, mostly. Hmm. Um, lots and lots of possession. Nobody, no obvious goal scorer, nobody to rely on for, for goals and clinical finishing. And then get caught out on the counter-attack. It's like a classic bad Spanish performance. Um, it, like With a caveat, it, it wasn't that bad. Germany had loads of chances, and I think you know this this podcast especially, um, and listeners to this podcast are very familiar with the idea that you know if a team plays well more often than not, they will win games, and more often than not, Germany would have won this game. The number of chances they had, you know, either side of halftime. Uh, unfortunately, as we all know, if you don't finish those chances, you are going to leave yourself wide open to being sucker punched, and Japan 
did really, really improve and grow into the game. Thought the, they had a goal this love really early on, but after that, they had very, very little to offer in the first half. And the start of the second half was much the same. But they went like credit to them and to the to the coaches because they absolutely went for it like kitchen sink. They ended up with, uh, I mean, at half time, as you say, Tommy Yasu came on at half time and he actually came on for a winger and they switched to a back five. But then they changed both of the wing backs for forwards ostensibly. They changed the striker. They threw another attacking midfielder on in a ex Liverpool man, Takumi Minamino. And Germany just couldn't handle it, the the number of bodies that were going forward in the opposite direction. So, yeah, with you know a one-goal lead, maybe they should have been a bit more sensible when Japan started throwing things at them. Um, instead, the gaps were there at the back and they didn't really know how to handle it. And now, I mean, you, when you look at the group, and that is the group, obviously, with Spain in it, that was the ah, game. Thanks for the knowledge. There yeah, you go. See, Phil, see was, how it's uh, done. <laughs> but but that was the game. And I think uh, Manuel Neuer said it after the game on, on TV over here. It was like, this is the game that he was looking at that they, they had to win or the game that they couldn't lose. This was the really big one. I don't think it's the best sign of the mental state of the team when they've just lost the game and the captain, the most experienced player, goes on national TV and goes, yeah, yeah, this is the one game we couldn't afford to lose instead of trying to say, yeah, let's move on to the next one and win on Sunday and put right the wrongs. But no, he's not wrong. And uh, Germany now, I think, are in massive, massive trouble. Um, they're, they're probably going to have to to win both games, which obviously means being Spain on Sunday, which is very difficult to see happening right now. Yeah, I mean, you would say, well, Japan played brilliantly, but you know they're not a guarantee to win any game. But the way Costa Rica look, Japan are going to be a huge, huge favorite now to beat Costa Rica. Um and Costa Rica certainly won't feel like they have a hell of a lot to play for after the humiliation they suffered, but maybe pride will be will be enough. But yeah, I mean, if Germany don't not just get a result, but beat Spain, I think they're probably out then. And that is not a position anyone would have expected two games into the tournament. You do not want to be the first team eliminated from the World Cup if you can avoid it. And they are now well on track to potentially have that happen. Um, Phil, so firstly, we should say Arsenal legend, Takuma Asano with a beautiful goal. Are we are we claiming that as an Arsenal goal? Where are we at with that? Mr. Wenger's done it again. That's where uh, I that's where I stand. He's done it again. Yeah. He's done it again. That smile, that damn smile. What do um, we think of the goal? Um, oof, yeah, lots to talk about there. I mean, first touch. of all, it's a brilliant piece of individual play. I mean, he's plucked it out. He's put it in his stride. He's, he's put it in literally the only square he can get it into past Manuel Neuer, straight into that top corner. In terms of what Asano's done, it's brilliant. But the German defensive line, Zula's Schla- way too was it deep. Schlatterback? Who, who, was it Zula? Who's way? Yeah, what the heck it, is going Zula on? Zula was way too deep. Uh, Rudiger and Schlotterbeck were too far apart. Schlotterbeck doesn't even look to see where Asano is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a mess. I mean, Lewis kind of nailed it. He said, you know, in the first half, David Raum was just getting in on that left-hand side every single time. And I'm like, why is this coach not doing anything about it? He's not reacting to anything. And then what happens in the second half? He's the most reactive coach I've ever seen. Mm. Um, bringing on Mitoma, Ritsu Doan, Minamino, Tomiyasu. You know, when you look at the squad, it's a really good squad. And I love... Japan because the cliche is often that they're hardworking, industrious players, honest players, but the technical quality is is really high. Um, and they were just beating the press with little one-twos, little triangles. They were really comfortable in small spaces, working things around the box. And I just think it turned into a basketball match with Germany didn't want um, because in the first half, Gundogan was just running everything. I mean, he was just running the, the whole game. But like you said, you if you don't take your chances, this can happen. And and Japan were growing, 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 and they took their chances, and Germany didn't really have any time to respond. International football is weird, though, Phil, because like, if this were an Arsenal game, I'd probably be pointing to the XG, right? I'd probably be pointing to the stats. I'd be saying 75% possession, 26 shots. Trust the process. You know, we, we didn't deserve this. And I have to admit, I was more focused on the second half than the first, partly because Tomiyasu was on, but also just the way it timed out with my day. And as someone who concentrated more in the second half, Japan did not feel an unworthy winner to me. But is this a case of scoreline dictating reaction in the sense that, like, 
a couple of moments of really poor German defending and, and some Japan finishing obscures the fact that Germany were the dominant side and could still turn up against Spain and, you know, maybe where they're not required to press the issue as much if they can be a little organized and counter could get something. I mean, the, the, is there is there more life to Germany than maybe we're giving credit for just because of the scoreline here? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> not I mean, not I, you, Lewis. When we need actual information, we'll come to you. This is just no, opinion no, no. stuff I right mean, now. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, look, you, you can't rule them out. And I think a, a lack of a recognized striker does hurt them. I, I still don't really know where Havertz is playing or what he's best at. And I, I was screaming at Hansi Flick to get Musiala more central because he was yeah. kind of playing too wide. Yeah. Um, and for 55 minutes, they were dominant. Um, but you could slowly see Japan coming into the game, growing into the game. And and like you said, they couldn't turn around that momentum. Um, I don't know how, how Lewis saw it, but fr- from where I was standing, it was a tale of two halves. Mm, Lewis, I mean, some of that is Japan making the changes to bring on their best players and play the second half to win. Some of that is Germany being profligate with the dominance and the shots they had. And then I do think it's interesting that he changes Musiala and Muller and Nabry and Havertz. And like, did he bring on better players who were more likely to turn the game or did he just make changes to make changes? So how do you look at how they how the game was managed by Flick? I think I think it was one of those situations when you get into a bit of a funk with the momentum where it just becomes really hard to control and, and turn back around. Uh they didn't sub on you know, Dross. Uh, can, can I ask you a question just because I don't know? Muller, go, go is, is Sané fit or just not good anymore? No, like, yeah, he's he's out. He's uh, I don't know if he'll be fit at the weekend, but okay. he pulled up in, in training with a knee Okay, Okay, because I didn't know that because I was surprised not to see him. Come on, yeah. he was on the bench. so Yeah, so yesterday he uh, he got a knee injury or the day before he got a knee injury in training. Um, but, you know, one of the topics then in Germany after the game was... Well, from, from Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was on TV, who, by the way, Jesus, don't listen to anything he has to say. But he, <laughs> but he mentioned, like, um, you know, Goretzka didn't start. It's like, but, you know, Gundogan did start. So, <laughs> sure, there's not really a bad choice between yeah. the two of them. Uh, he also mentioned that Thomas Müller came off. Uh, Thomas Müller hasn't really played for two months. There was a question about whether or not he was even going to be in the squad because he's mm. not... He's not played for two months for Bayern Munich. He's not kicked a ball. I was actually quite surprised or a little bit surprised to see him start after so long without football. So, you know, they brought on Jonas Hoffmann, who's who's played a lot for Germany in the last couple of years, really been trusted by Hansi Flick. Then they needed a goal. They brought on the two natural strikers in the squad, but one of them's a, a 29-year-old who before last week had never played for Germany and one yeah. of them turned 18 at the weekend and had never played for Germany until last Book week. Ends. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, the striker situation, believe it or not, without Timo Werner is far from ideal and far from obvious. And then it's a matter of trying to fit in attacking midfielders. Like, yeah, that's why, as Phil said, you had Kai Havertz up front, which, I mean, for me, Germany at the weekend just played Nicholas Fulkrug. He's 29, he's big, he's uncomfortable. And he will not let the Spain centre-halves rest. Or play Yusuf Makoko, who is 18 and has all the running and energy in the world and gets shots away like nobody's business. At the end of the day, both of them are strikers and Kai Havertz isn't. Not a proper one anyway. If the Spain game is any indication, Germany may have the chance to play a bit more on the counter-attack too. So you wonder, w- would you opt to play someone who can run a bit up front? You know, Can you play Musiala as a striker? Can you play Nabri? I don't know. I, I Havertz... I'm not really sure anybody knows what Havertz is, least of all Chelsea. They they continue to try to start him up front. And the, the thing I think is interesting is Havertz may lose his place here in Germany and may come home to find he's lost his place to Cristiano Ronaldo at Chelsea. So that ought to be uh, fun when that happens. So, all right, well, let's set that game aside. It definitely leaves Japan poised to go through by beating what looks like a dreadful Costa Rica. I read a tweet. I retweeted it. I think it's right. Costa Rica are a team that qualifies for these tournaments and makes noise in CONCACAF by virtue of having a very uniquely phenomenal home pitch, home stadium advantage in CONCACAF. Uh, as, so, as a CONCACAF watcher, you go and you play on some weird pitches and in some unique places um, in qualifying, and, and Costa Rica make the most of that for sure. They have some talent. Uh, they have Joel Campbell. He got out while he still could. Um, but... It was, it was a pretty humiliating day for the Costa Rican team, and 
let's just put this into context, Phil. Costa Rica took zero shots. Now, I want to wind back the clock once upon a time. Arsenal trying to get past Barcelona in the Champions League. Went to the new Camp and scored the opening goal and had a 1-0 lead against Barcelona, having taken no shots. It was an own goal from a corner kick, and we were leading Pep's uh, Barcelona team 1-0 with no shots. Having said that, I would not advocate no shots as a tactic. They coupled that with 18% possession. This was probably the most dominant game I've ever seen in my life, uh, certainly in international football. Can you ever remember a team being outclassed in the way that Spain outclassed Costa Rica? And, well, and I, I include remember that, that Brazil Germany you know, game, but you know, this was this was something else. <laughs> I remember that that game with the new camp very clearly, and Nicholas mm. Bentner should have put us through at the end. He so. should have. Yes, <laughs> was that also the game where Van Persie got sent off for for the kicking after the whistle, or is that a different? Mm-hmm. Trip no, to it the is the, yeah. the same one. Same one. Yeah. It was, right. So fun game, fun game for us. Fun um, game, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean. Look, Spain were obviously the clear favourites going into this game, but Costa Rica offered, you know, zero resistance. I mean, they 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 started with a three defenders, two wing backs, and the idea with that is that defensively you can make it, you know, difficult for your opponent, but it was just not difficult at all. And I really the thing is under under Luis Enrique, I find Spain quite hot and cold. But he made a few interesting tactical tweaks today, you know, that really put the game in their favour. I think Rodri at centre-back had a few eyebrows raised before kickoff. But look, ultimately they knew they were going to dominate the ball. It was just another avenue for for distribution from deep. And then that allowed Pedri and Gabi to push forward as eight. So they completely boxed Costa Rica in. Um, And from that moment, you could see Spain knocking the ball around, little one-twos, you know, switching the ball under no pressure. And from there, you knew it was going to be a a long afternoon. I mean, Asensio, another interesting tactical switch at false nine. I mean, he was the false nine on the team sheet, but he wasn't really. I mean, in that first half, Dani Olmo was playing as the false nine. Ferran Torres was playing as the false nine. I mean, it's classic Spain. This was typical Spain. And often in recent years, they haven't looked like typical Spain, but today that was the blueprint. That's what we've, we, we've become to, to know, what we've become familiar with. Um, you know, look where all the goals were scored. Olmo was playing as a centre forward when he scored. Ferran Torres, second goal, he's, he's in the six-yard box. You know, Asensio on the edge of the box tapping in for his one. So they just got as many good players forward as possible, which in my books is going to get you some goals. And it got them seven. So... Look, it it wasn't pretty. They Just were the they were heavy favourites, um, but this was you know they look ominous. They look ominous. Let's just put it that way. It was a disgusting display from Costa Rica. I mean, come on, you can't get more than eighteen percent of the ball. The thing that was crazy was just they they gave it back every time they had it. I mean, just yeah. the speed with which Spain regained the ball. And and Lewis, this this is Spain as you knew them. I mean, total control, can't get past them. And oh, by the way, you blink, and here's another golden generation. Right, I mean, here's another generation of of a Pedri and Gabi and Ferran Torres, and on the bench, by the way, Ansu Fati, who's what's Ansu Fati, seventeen years old or something, um, something like that. I don't know facts, as everybody knows. Jeremy Pino, Carlos Soler comes off the bench and, and makes an impact. This is this is a Spain team that was probably not regarded as highly as they should, at least not in things I read. And I'm curious if we could be looking at the next golden generation. Coming, coming to the fore already, right now. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think we should understate how awful Costa Rica were as well. Um, and and uh, yeah, that they did not make it hard because you know we've seen teams of holy levels, but the opposition would just come and play five four one and make life really, really hard to break them down. Costa Rica just didn't do that at all. You know, cut, um, every cutback in the box looked like it could have scored a goal. Yeah, like, like they had no answer everything. for a cutback. I don't understand what yeah, they were doing. Out, out wide, the movement in the middle. Uh, Busquets had. I, I thought Busquets is, was fantastic. He looked like you know his his best from from four or five six years ago. But 
the amount of time and space that he had was just ridiculous. There uh, was some lovely skill though involved. I mean, the, oh, yeah, was it Gabby's yeah, finish the outside of the right boot? Yeah, it was. was it? That's in, I in mean, off the post. Yeah, that, I think the, on, that's what strikes me with the way Spain played today compared to sort of classic, classic Spain, and maybe compared to the Euros last year. I thought the Euros last year they were the one. They were probably the best team at the competition. Mm. Um, the goals were missing, but they were to watch as well, not just the way that they played. I thought they were great to watch last summer. And Spain had lost that for quite a while. They'd sort of 2008 was exciting. 2010, they started to bore people to tears. And it was like packing so many midfielders into the team. And, you know, we've seen Spain 10 years ago now win trophies with, you know, Iniesta on the wing, Sesc as a, as a forward. And it's like, right, okay, you're playing five or six central midfielders at some point. And then it maybe be, it would be like David Villa on one flank <laughs> and, or, or Pedro on one flank. And that was it. There was the difference today for me and why they played so much faster when they got to the final third. They were not playing five central midfielders today. The, the, the names Phil mentioned, Marco Asensio, Dani Olmo, Ferran Torres. These guys are all wingers or second strikers. None of them's number nine, like a real centre forward. But they're all guys that want to get on the end of things, want to get in the box, want to run off the shoulder. And to add to that sort of control, obviously you get the extra midfielder in the team, as Phil mentioned, by having Rodri at centre-back. To have that control, that sort of Spanish style of play with Busquets, with Gavi, with Pedri, but then to have a front three who all want to interchange position and run beyond the last man and get on the end of things as well is a deadly, deadly mixture. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I guess, Phil, the, the only question about this is I, I don't think there's any hope for Costa Rica, so let's not even discuss them. I, it's, it's, it's hard to evaluate. If you had to move a slider where all the way on one side is Spain or the best team that's ever played football and all the way on the other is Costa Rica is the worst team that's ever played football and that's how we're evaluating this game, where is the slider? How much of this is an ominous warning sign to the rest of the tournament about Spain's young revolution coming for them and how much of it is you put a half-decent team up against this Costa Rica and they're going to batter. Yeah, I'm going to be firmly in the middle here because, mm. like I said, Spain were very impressive on the day. I thought they were sharp. Their pressing was good. Technical security was good. I mean, as we said, this was classic Spain. And I, I, I really enjoyed a few tactical switches from Luis Enrique. But, you know, Costa Rica were just never in this game from the first minute, first whistle. You know, Spain were already on the attack straight away. And some of that defending in the second half was just embarrassing. Not tracking runners. You know, there was there was one cross. I think it was Jordi Alba crossing the ball into the box. And both centre-backs who were close to the ball just didn't jump. They just didn't jump. And it was just like, what is happening here? You know, this is the World Cup. You're playing for your country. And yeah. we've seen already how it can work in your favor, how teams can get up for these occasions, Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, you know, banging their chest for every interception, every block. And this was just the complete opposite of that. And it was embarrassing really. Um, and even with a quality goalkeeper like Keylor Navas in goal, they, they still hold held seven. Um, so look, they're, they're not going to score seven again in the tournament. I'm pretty confident about that, but it's not a bad way to start. By the way, when they when they won it in 2010, they only scored eight in the entire the entire competition with you know a couple of extra times thrown in there as well. It's mad. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So, I mean, Lewis, last last thing on 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 this group, you can't rule. I mean, Germany. By the way, it's not like they were battered, right? We already discussed the, the metrics. The one downside for Spain is they've just had it very easy. They probably played. 80 minutes of this game at a canter, 70 minutes of it. Do you think that maybe playing a game like this, whereas Germany really got pushed by a very good Japan and, you know, have everything to play for and Spain will be feeling very, very confident, but they're also very young. Do you think it could, it could in a way work against Spain that they now have to really focus and really take a beaten Germany very seriously or risk, you know, risk, I think, being shocked themselves. Not not that Germany beating Spain would be a shock, but you know what I'm what I'm driving at here. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think Spain will be too concerned. Um or I don't think Spain have too much to worry about because they obviously not that they should take it lightly at all, but they have the last group game against Japan um on, on Sun uh not on Sunday, the the one after next week. Um so even if something goes wrong against Germany, Spain will have the chance to redeem themselves and, and have that one off game at the end. The question is what 
Germany can do. And if Germany can show up, like you said, obviously they'll have less of the ball. They'll have the chance to break into space. They'll have the chance to win the ball high up the pitch and, and press Spain. It, that that would be really interesting. It will play more into Germany's hands. Um, it will obviously be a much much bigger test for Spain, and we'll probably. You know, I, th- I think often these tournaments, when the quality between teams is you know, Costa Rica, yeah, rubbish. But we have we also have nothing to compare them against because we haven't seen Spain against anybody else. So or we haven't seen them play anybody else. So Sunday will tell us a lot, I think, about about both teams. I'd, I wouldn't back Germany to qualify now, but I also wouldn't be surprised at all if they turned up and, and played really well and got the three points. And then we went into the, the last game of the group and you had uh, Germany, Spain and Japan all fighting to qualify. Yeah, well, it'd be very interesting. Well, it's amazing that we're, you know, we're almost a half hour into this already and we're just now getting to what might have been, I think, might have been the most entertaining fixture of the tournament. Like, I I loved the Belgium-Canada game. I, I don't know if everyone's going to agree with me there. Canada, I, I mean, a lot depends on the source you get for your XG. Canada lose 1-0 with a 2.83 to 0.86 XG victory over Belgium. But that's not to say Belgium didn't have openings. De Bruyne, I thought, pretty poor. You know, didn't have his his most precise day passing the football. Um, the stats are just utterly, I, I think, utterly uh, a fascinating and tell a story of the game. And 22 shots for, for Canada as well to just nine for Belgium. They really went at them. They had a penalty saved. They had another penalty not given, and I, I cannot for the life of me understand it. It was given offside by a linesman who clearly doesn't understand the rules. And the only thing I'm guessing is the offside being given then does not allow them to go check the penalty, right? Because they, they can't say it's onside because they blew the whistle. I'm they, Lewis. Do they you know, didn't. They, they didn't. They this? didn't blow until afterwards as well. Like so, they, right. so the flag went up after. Um, Wrongly. So they, mm-hmm. so they could have still given the penalty. Um, so they so gave offside wrong after levels. the foul. Yeah, and then the there, there was a former ref on German TV, and and she said who who used to ref in the Bundesliga, um, and and she said that basically they wouldn't overturn it because the defender got a touch on the ball before before standing on um I don't know who the forward was was it Buchanan um, yeah it was Buchanan yeah. yeah um but the defender basically got a touch on the ball before standing on Buchanan's foot and for me that like if that's how the rules work then the rules are wrong and they should be changed uh because you know he the defender barely touches the ball and then stand clearly stands on his foot and the, the, the Buchanan can't move anymore um mm. and obviously goes down for me that if that's the reason it wasn't a penalty it definitely should be one i don't even think that was the only one there was one that axel witzel um stood on like a kind of similar challenge but nowhere near the ball like, i i think canada were really unlucky not to end that first half with three penalties I, I mean yeah and and belgium just looked old trying to defend they could not live with the counter-attack from canada um jonathan david we know he can be difficult on counter-attack um Alfonso Davies, obviously one of the one of the best players in the world. Full stop. Just a, a great a great player. Caused them all kinds of problems. Canada were tremendously profligate. There were a number of pullbacks that didn't quite find the man by by a foot. Right, some shots that were well saved, but also um, some poor finishing. I think it's fair to say there was one cross where it was skied over the bar from close range. And at the other end, I mean, Eden uh, uh, Kevin De Bruyne at one point. There's a Three on two counterattack for Belgium. He's got an easy reverse ball to Tielemans that if he's playing in a Manchester City shirt, I have no doubt he finds it. Instead, he goes the other direction and nothing comes from it. The goal Batishwai scores is definitely a worthy game winning goal over the top, pulls it right down, finishes it beautifully. But for me, Phil, this game was all about Canada, their quality, their counterattack, their profligacy, and it it sets up for a very interesting group now because I mean, with Morocco and Croatia drawing a pretty dull game, Canada is definitely very much alive in this. And and I, I would still expect them to go through, but so how do you have this? Do you have this as, as Canada blowing it basically? Cause I, I have a hard time seeing it any other way or is it the ref that, that gets all the blame? I think it's a combination of everything. I don't think you can expect Canada to be, um, to be the ones blowing it, having not beaten Belgium. But like you said, I think they had more than enough chances to win this game and Belgium looked very, very old, Um, particularly playing three at the back. 
with uh, Alderweireld and Vertonghen. I mean, they've got an average age of, of nearly 70, but, uh, mm. you know, a combined age, sorry, of, of nearly 70. I, I was going to so say, not, I knew they were yeah. old, but man, time is flying. <laughs> yes, it's been 84 years. Um, no, it's... Um, they they yeah, both so, play in Belgium now as well. Yeah, and it was, you know, you could see them playing in a back three and covering space, and it's just not what they want to do, but they were just killing them in transition. I mean, even in midfield, Axel Witzel was not what he used to be. And I was really enjoying Canada's performance. I think there was a couple of players in particular. I mean, Estacchio, is that how you pronounce his name? I thought he was brilliant in that first half. Mm-hmm. Um, Buchanan as well really impressed me. I think actually, if if it was two Canada players I would single out who weren't maybe at the level, it would be Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, yeah. <laughs> they, Davies did not look comfortable at all stepping up for that penalty and I think he took it more out of a feeling of responsibility as opposed to being the best option Can I ask you a um, question is, is it very different from the one Lewandowski took really it's it's firmly no, 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 struck it's in a comfortable because I haven't seen Lewandowski get too much of a hammering for the penalty he struck I, I think they're the same no. penalty just to different sides yeah, it, it struck well, but it's just too central. And when yeah, you're playing yeah, against yeah. Thibaut Courtois, you need to put it right in the corner because he covers 95% of the goal. Yeah. Um, and it was just unfortunate because I was really impressed with with their pressing. I thought they showed a lot of energy in the first half and I just think it, it ultimately boiled down to a lack of quality. But I don't know, I found myself really, uh, really on the side of Canada. I really wanted them to win because I felt their performance deserved something. Really bold and brave. Um, like you said, a couple of decisions went against them. I mean, have you seen that clip of Yuri Tielemans um, mm. just falling down when Alfonso Davies goes past him? I mean, I'm sure Mikel Arteta will be screaming at the TV for that and saying, get him off the scout list at the at this second. Um, and he was hooked at half time because they were just killing them in midfield. I mean, they brought on Onana, who's, who's at Everton now, just to give them a bit of presence because they couldn't get anywhere near the ball. But like you said... Canada will be kicking themselves, although Belgium, you know, had the bit bit of quality through Batshuayi and a few other chances on the break that the final ball was just awful. I mean, awful, awful, awful. De Bruyne, you know, Hazard rushing things, inaccurate passing, really frustrating. I, I mean, I'm but... shocked to find out that Eden Hazard still plays football, let's be honest. Like... <laughs> and, and the Roberto Martinez still coaches. Yeah, that's a good like, point. Is Thierry Henry still involved with this set? Yeah, I think he is. And he Thomas from Marlin. Thomas oh from Ireland's on their coaching setup as well. <laughs> they, might, they might be a better five-a-side team than than eleven-a-side. Uh, it, it really is crazy. How like, old? Uh, like Phil, Phil mentioned how old they looked and and playing with that back three. I can't believe they didn't change it. Like they were being outdone everywhere. They're like Canada played this front three that pressed the back three and completely pinned them in the first half. And like Phil mentioned earlier, the Japan coach seeing. The, all that space that Germany were getting out wide, they decided to change it. It changed the game. And Roberto Martinez saw whatever he saw in the first half and went, all right, lads, same again. Run, run it back. Madness. <laughs> Absolute madness. Um, Lewis, I mean, do you, like, on one of the talking points going into this tournament is can the, the golden generation ride off into the sunset with the World Cup having really under underachieved to the extent it's hard, right? Because... There's a tournament every two years, and if you don't win it, you've underachieved, and then your golden generation's gone. It's it's pretty harsh, but that's the way international football works. Just ask Pessy. Um, but like, <laughs> I can't help myself. But like, Belgium do not look like they have any chance of making noise in this tournament as it stands. They looked old. They looked slow. They still have some quality. I mean, on the day, if De Bruyne hits his best form, he's still a player I think that can win you a game by himself. He's that good. He didn't have that today. But looking at the way they they ran in transition, they have no chance. I, and the irony is like, I don't know why it should surprise us that a Roberto Martinez coach team doesn't look great defensively because he's been comedically bad at that for a long time. But I, I wonder if you're where I am. I'm ready to write them off. Is it too soon? Uh, yeah, I think, they're, I think they're really bad. I think, you know, golden generation, is it? Like, it was four it was. years ago. It was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, but th- that moment for that team was, was four years ago if they were ever going to put it put the run together and they went far there was it semi-finals mm. um four and a half years ago Eden Hazard's done nothing for a at, few at years at the USA's um at the USA's expense yeah I mean mm-hmm. like you know Eden Hazard's done nothing for a few years Romelu Lukaku 
hasn't done much for a couple of years and has been injured since I think I think his last start for Inter was in August or September. So he wasn't even on the bench today. Even if he got fit enough to feature at some point, you can't really rely on him playing. Mm. Um, I mean, they're still playing Carrasco at wing back. Uh, the, 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 the Phil mentioned the centre halves are all old. It's basically you know Courtois and De Bruyne who who are both world class and can and can you know when I say it like that I'm like Ugh. but if you've got Courtois and De Bruyne on your day you can probably beat anyone. But well, this is the crazy thing: it beat one of Morocco or Croatia and you're through. And then it's who knows, right? I mean, but it's then, knockout but, at that point, and like it could go nil nil all the way to penalties. Oh, so bad! It's, and they but, yeah. they played like no disrespect to Canada because. Canada were brilliant, and I don't want to take that. And they away were in qualifying. Them. They were in qualifying. Let's make no mistake; that team was very good in qualifying as well. They yeah, yeah. Like, I, like, yeah. I don't think we. Yeah, we should. We don't. We shouldn't talk about it like and and the same like with Japan earlier. Um, we shouldn't talk about it like oh, it was only Canada or anything. Um, but Canada are not Spain, and they're not Brazil, and they're not Argentina, and they're not France, and they're not England. And if Canada can make Belgium look that uncomfortable, then teams with that level of of quality in every single position uh, could just rip Belgium apart. I think if they come up against them, I think every other team that's considered sort of in the running would look at that Belgian performance tonight and be very, very happy to play them next. Hey, I'm sorry, eh? If you think we're not England or or <laughs> Germany or France, eh? Oh, I'm sorry, but you know, we we we're not just maple syrup, eh? We can play some football. This is how a Canadian person. Uh, I, did, I didn't know Scotland qualified for the World Cup. Uh, you know what? I, I am great at accents. <laughs> just ask me to do any accent, and I'll do it. And I can do a Canadian accent because I spent years going to Canada, like every three weeks for work. I've spent a lot of time in Toronto and Mississauga area, and I, I do love Canada. And we we um, are going to bring you up again over the next few weeks on ask me to do any accent, and I'll do mm-hmm. it. I, I mean, firstly, you can't because that gets you probably canceled but also like I, i'm i'm so bad at them like i feel like i can do canada though because canada and america are like you know we're besties we're neighbors can do that i wouldn't i wouldn't venture into too many i mean I'd, i'll do an english accent obviously because that one's just very easy um and and not a problem for me whatsoever so anyway let's move on as swiftly as possible okay uh well that leaves the the teams that will be looking at that game and wondering maybe we can get past belgium maybe we can't get past canada if you're morocco or croatia who got a nil-nil draw at 4 a.m. my time, a game that I saw a total of zero minutes and zero seconds of, you may have been looking at this group saying, it's the first game and it's the Canada game, and if we can get something from those we're through, now you may be seeing Belgium as a chance and Canada as trickier, but but did anyone, Lewis, impress you in Morocco nil, uh, Croatia nil? Genuinely, no. Five shots to eight. I mean, you know, a classic of the genre. <laughs> Anything to write home about there? Any talking points? Is was Modric still Modric? <laughs> what do we got? I, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. The players that we know and that we we think are great were probably not quite as good as we know they can be. Um, which, when I think when you get to international level and you have a few star players, uh, a lot of these teams have have two, maybe two or three star players, and when they aren't having a good day, uh, then becomes a, a quite a low quality game of football and I think that's what we saw with with Morocco as well with you know uh, Hakim Ziyech and, and Ashraf Hakimi um, neither of them were really on it and and the same goes for for Modric and Croatia so yeah I don't know if Phil has anything more interesting than that to say just, about that game but just to give uh, you an idea of how you didn't miss anything of how old Modric is he's almost Ronaldo's age Phil that's how old he is um, so kudos to him for still playing I mean, you you read this Croatia team and you're like, that guy still plays? Oh, oh, that guy still plays? Oh, wow, they have that. He's still playing. Like, it's never a good sign when you thought half the team retired. Um, you know, Ziyech is 29, which is, you know, in my book, he might as well be 50, age curve, totally done, can't play, probably should retire. Um, anything uh, of interest from this game? I guess, you know, maybe it's just the case that because it was played at 4 a.m., they weren't awake yet. Oh no! Wait, it wasn't that time locally. Okay, next excuse. What? What's the reason this game stunk so bad? No, I think it was just two teams cancelling each other out. I mean, to be mm-hmm. fair, the, there wasn't a bad midfield battle. I think Croatia are obviously strongest there in midfield, but Morocco held their own. I thought Sofia and Amrabat was was really good in the first half, mm. um, but ultimately, 
Morocco were looking to a couple of players to to try and give them something. Um, and, and as Lewis said, Ziyech overhit a couple of crosses. Hakimi couldn't quite into the get, get into the game in an attacking sense. Mazraoui is a really good player, but he got injured. You know, it was just kind of very first game in the group vibes with nobody really willing to commit to win the game in, in you know, in fear of losing. Um, and I think both of them are still sitting in a promising position in terms of what they want to do, which is qualify. But this game was not anything to write home about. I mean, it was all set pieces um, and a couple of good recovery tackles from Josko Gvardio. But other than that, it was, you know, get a point on the board and we and we go on to the next one. Uh, yeah, and I think like the, the being happy to take a point, you saw that with Morocco not bringing on Ilias Chair, who has been really, really good for for QPR in the championship this season. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to you know, when when the pressure's on a little bit more to get a result, and they're going to have to win one of the last two, at least one of the next two games. Um, I hope that we see him because I think he'll liven their game up a bit as well. Well, let's um, let's look ahead to tomorrow. So it's interesting. We get our first look at three teams that may have designs on going deep, Uruguay, Portugal, and Brazil. Switzerland also plays, so Granite Shaka is in to the tournament. Um, I guess this is interesting because it's a day where each of the four games have a team that will have targeted that game probably as the one they need to win, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, Portugal plays Ghana, Brazil plays Serbia, Uruguay plays South Korea, and Switzerland plays Cameroon. They're all going to feel like we need something here, given that they have someone in their group that they will have an eye on. Now, Brazil, I think, probably will feel like they can beat everyone every time they come up against them, but Switzerland's certainly going to pose them problems. Portugal will look at Uruguay, and Uruguay will look at Portugal and see them as their biggest problem. So everybody's kind of got to announce themselves tomorrow. Um, let's start quickly, Lewis, with Port- uh, pardon me, with Brazil. I mean, to me, they're the favorites. They're always the favorites. I think they're more so the favorites in this tournament, but we've seen France look pretty good despite their injuries. We've seen Spain look dominant. Are we going to see a France that deserves to be favorites in admittedly a tricky game against Serbia? I I really hope we get a close game. Um, Before we were recording, me and Phil were talking and we'd said like a lot of these games have been kind of one-sided. And then today we finally got two really really close games hard fought games uh you know Good one sort of went with the favorite one went against the favorite mm-hmm. and i think serbia brazil uh is, tomorrow has our best chance of that sort of continuing um i i think serbia are going to be really really tough to play against some hope that front line but, vlavic and mitrovic are going to beat some yeah, people like, up, right i mean yeah, like that t- you're not going to be able to rest and, <laughs> Tadic and Kostic providing them as well. So I think and I hope Serbia are, are going to surprise a few people this this next couple of weeks or this next week, depending on how long they stay in the competition. And yeah, I, I don't think there'll be pushovers. I think Brazil are going to have to really work for all three points. I, I think, yeah, every time you get a set piece, if you're Serbia, you're going to be putting that ball in the mixer. And with yeah, Mitrovic but, and Vavic. Those defenders, those Brazil defenders are all leaving the pitch with bruises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what about Uruguay? I mean, Phil, that that's a team that I think a lot of people have looked at as a potential dark horse. I'm not sure that's right or not right. Um, but like Uruguay just always seemed like a difficult out. I, I, you know, everyone knows what I've thought about Darwin Nunez from a, a sort of technical level, but he's he's in good form for his club. He can run in behind and cause all kinds of problems. Um, Luis Suarez... Still there, still kicking around. Bent- Bentoncourt, unfortunately, has been in good form for a team that shall remain nameless. Are Ur- Uruguay going to get out of the blocks fast and impress us as a possible uh, dark horse in this tournament? Well, they're my dark horses um, mm. from the preview podcast. Uh, I mean, look. I, I thought that was Denmark. <laughs> That's Lewis. Lewis's team was Denmark. <laughs> and and how did that go for you in match day one? Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Um, Early days. <laughs> You know, I'd, we spoke about some some teams looking old and some players getting old, and I don't think it gets much older than than Uruguay with Luis Suarez, Edison Cavani, and Diego Diego Godin in the team. But I don't know. I just I've just got got a little feeling about them. Uh, they always can band something together. I mean, they're a tiny nation full of fire and and fight, um, and they'll stop at nothing to win, as we've seen several times over the years. And I, I don't know. I've just got a little feeling that. 
they'll be very hard to break down, very committed, and then just have a bit of magic up front. And I think in terms of South Korea, you know, very neat and tidy team in possession. They've got obviously one huge danger man up front, which is Son. They've got an excellent defender in Kim Min Jae. But if I'm looking at anybody to win tomorrow, it's Uruguay. So I think all four fixtures look super fun, actually. Uh, it's going to be a, a really fun day to watch. You know, even Portugal, Ghana, you've got a lot of talent on that pitch. So oh, yeah. um, I'm strapped in, I'm ready, and, and I'm ready for Uruguay to to bring home the three points. Do, do you need to be strapped in or can you just sit down? Like, uh, is there something we should know about you that requires us to strap Phil in? gets very, very excited when he's watching Uruguay. <laughs> oh, dear, Look, it's dear. it's Switzerland and Cameroon gets my juices going. Granite Xhaka, back in the eight. Oh, I've missed it. I've missed it. Yeah, well, Granit Xhaka will be making his debut. Last question, Lewis, we'll leave it here. We're not going to go deep on the Switzerland thing, although we will be watching Granit Xhaka with great interest, as always. Um, Is the story of this World Cup for Portugal just whether they can rise above the chaos surrounding Cristiano Ronaldo right now? A lot of times, he seems bigger than his club. In some ways, he seems bigger than his country. And right now, so much news surrounding him. Um, he has literally driven the owners of Manchester United out of the club by being a colossal pain in the ass. Um, is that really the story for Portugal? Can they rise above the mire, the quagmire that is Cristiano Ronaldo these days? I'm sure there are people involved in that Portugal camp that wish they could rip his passport up the way that Man United have ripped up his contract. Um, mm, yeah. Unfortunately, unlike Man United, they are permanently stuck with him. Because like, they got talent. All over the yeah, pitch, like, but, but it is. I think. I think we'll. I think we'll see the Man United problem. Uh, the you know, Bruno Fernandes is worse when Cristiano Ronaldo plays. Bernardo Silva will be worse when Cristiano Ronaldo plays. But when Cristiano Ronaldo's there, it, it's he causes you so much of a headache if you don't play him that you don't really have a choice. So. Portugal were incredibly talented, uh, but I think yeah, we'll see him as he's done at club level the past few years hold his teammates back by insisting that the world should continue to revolve around him. What a shame! Yeah, I mean Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota, Cristiano Ronaldo up front. They have João Felix, who's not, to be fair, in the best form uh, these days. Ruben Neves, Carvalho, um, Cancelo, who might be one of the best players in the world. Like it's just. It's a supremely talented team. And Phil, if they don't go far in this tournament, you do wonder, especially if it feels like it's been influenced by the Ronaldo drama. And if he throws a strop on the pitch and gets mad because Fernandez didn't find him with a pass and something happens and it doesn't go well for them. You wonder, can can a man like that tarnish his legacy at this point? Or is he is he someone who's destined to just always be viewed a, a, as a, a deity among footballers, both in Portugal and globally. Where where do you think we stand with the Ronaldo situation there for a team that otherwise, without him, would certainly be getting talked up as one of the favorites, I think? I, d- I don't think he's, he's going to tarnish his legacy, but I do think people are realizing very quickly um, his intentions and it's his interest, which is very much Cristiano Ronaldo and nobody else. Um, you know, he spoke about being the captain, wanting to take responsibility for for his team, and he did that un you know uh, unorganized press conference and spoke about I speak when I want, and I want my my teammates to be focused on the game and not about me. When all you've done is just draw more attention to yourself in the last few days. So, look, I, I think there'll be some some words being said behind the scenes. I said it in the preview pod. Portugal have big crash and burn potential in this tournament. And it wouldn't surprise me. I think Fernando Santos is a very negative coach. Um, and I, I can see that talent going to waste. And I would love every second of it. Apologies to to any Portuguese people. Um, but yeah, that's how I see it. And maybe they'll have to oust him to get the best out of the others. Was this the best day of the tournament so far? Just in your, in view, your view, by the way, maybe because the 4am game passed me by, but I loved the other three games. I think in general, yeah. I think we had a big shock yesterday. Um, but in terms of the overall um, score lines and games, I think today was was great. It's starting to feel like a World Cup as much as it can. Um, it's still not the same, but I, I enjoyed today. Okay, I did too. Uh, let's leave it there. We will have more tomorrow because as it says in the name, this is the World Cup Daily. Um, and we will uh, we will certainly see what happens with some Titans taking the pitch. Should be a fun day of narrative uh, and hopefully football as well. Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Thanks, Lewis. Thank you. Until tomorrow. Yeah, until tomorrow. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil.
Thank you. I'd be remiss if I didn't wish the Americans listening a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a safe, healthy, and wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends and eat whatever kind of food you like. Don't be bullied into eating turkey just because they tell you that's what you're supposed to eat. We are having ham. Uh, but that's enough of that. I will be watching football, but not the kind that Americans usually watch on Thanksgiving. I'll be watching the real football, soccer, right? In the World Cup and then recording the World Cup daily as you do on a family day. Love you. We'll talk to you after. Oh, we almost got it, by the way. We almost got the York. If you're Spanish, you almost got the York Country 10 of the Country. We love you. We'll talk to you after your Country 10 of the Country 10. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.